Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is David Foster. And David Foster is chairman of an organization called Rail Solution, talking to him by Zoom. He's in Salem, Virginia, and boy, he's got some ideas that make me happy. If you are one of those people who gets frustrated and maybe even a little frightened when you're driving along Interstate 81 surrounded by a bunch of trucks, David Foster has an idea to get those trucks off the road. Welcome to this conversation, David Foster. Thank you, Teresa. I appreciate your inviting me. Well, it's going to be interesting, I think, to hear about this. This organization is not brand new. The organization called Rail Solution. It's all volunteer. Your work is all volunteer. You have the slogan that's called, that is really memorable, Trucks on Trains, Everybody Gains. So what is your grand idea to clear up the interstate? Well, it kind of goes back to our founding. We've been here for 20 years. There was a movement afoot by a consortium called Star Solution. And Star Solution was backed by a number of large companies, including the multinational company Halliburton. And they wanted to privatize I-81 all across 325 miles of Western Virginia and add double capacity to the road. They wanted to add two more truck-only lanes in each direction. Um, they called it the concrete freightway concept. And of the people in this part of the state, all along the I-81 corridor, kind of thought this was over the top. They didn't want it is to be like some New Jersey turnpike. Plus, they were going to make it a toll road, too. And that, that was a very controversial thing with the public. Anyway, we started looking at alternatives. And you couldn't oppose something just being a NIMBY. That's an acronym for not in my backyard. And I think most people are familiar with that. You couldn't defeat the star thing just by being a NIMBY. You actually had to have something to propose as an alternative. So that's kind of how we got going in proposing a rail solution, as our name suggests. There is all along I-81, all the way from central Pennsylvania to Knoxville, Tennessee, a Norfolk Southern Rail Line. And we said, as part of our advocacy, why don't we upgrade the rail line instead of supersizing the interstate? That way we could have a corridor to accommodate freight growth in the I-81 area without having to take so much land and uh, do so much destruction to the uh, environment. Uh, and we proposed that. We said, let's look at trying to make the railroad be the backbone for the future growth of freight movement in the corridor instead of this project to uh, double the size of I-81. That's how we got our start. The, um, the public hearings were interesting. They had those all along the corridor. 73% of the comments VDOT received at the public hearings posed tolls. 
So that, that's not surprising. Uh, but 70% of the comments they received embraced our idea of having a rail alternative. So we thought we had done a pretty good job getting our message out. We had a grassroots campaign and went to talk to county county boards of supervisors and city planners and all kinds of influential people up and down the corridor trying to get them to oppose the star solution idea. Drum roll, how did that end? Well, it it how did it end? It this was 2003, and in 2006, Halliburton threw in a towel and said that they were going to move their corporation to the Middle East and specialize in oil services. So they left. Did that leave Star Solution still fighting, or was Halliburton part of Star Solution? Halliburton was was the, the main mover and shaker behind Star Solution, but they wanted to do other things, and they left. They sort of passed the football too. They must not still be in the picture. Then they're they're not a player in this picture. There was a, a company here in Virginia that was the successor of, in in all this I eighty one stuff. Once Halliburton left. Uh, excuse me for interrupting. But it sounds to me like we need to stop here and celebrate. It sounds like your organization with citizens and public hearings and public opinion backed off these big companies. Well, we probably did, but we had a number of allies. You wouldn't be right to give us unique credit for that. We worked closely with a number of other organizations up and down the I-81 corridor. Anyway, the company that got left behind to pursue the project was uh, struggling with a backlog of asbestos litigation. And they really were distracted by that and didn't have the heart or the resources or the people or whatever to carry on the, the Star Solution vision. So at the end of 2006, we had kind of gotten to the point where it was no longer an imminent threat. And at that point, we kind of had a crossroads as part of, in our organization, we had been preaching all all this stuff about a rail alternative. And now we were free to devote our time and treasure to this concept without having to be always working to combat a threat from a star solution. We're going to run out of time here. I, I got to move us up into present day situation. Let's talk about what the energy and environmental benefits would be of having Trucks on trains, everybody gains. Okay, that's a phrase that we have put on our bumper stickers. I think you must have seen that. I love it. I think it's so clear. Anyway, the 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 idea here is well, you've probably heard a lot about the decarbonization of the transport sector. That's a big buzzword right now. Everybody is trying to come up with ways to reduce carbon emissions and the, and the transport sector tends to be a major e emitter. It's mostly highway vehicles. Railroad only emit about 2%. But still, there is all this focus on decarbonizing the transport sector. So that has given us some leverage to preach 
about the energy and environmental and economic advantages of moving people and goods by rail. Let's get real specific here. How does it affect truckers? If you're going to get those trucks on trains, how does that affect the truckers? Then they're not driving. Well, there's a lot of controversy about that. Every time we talk about getting trucks off I-81, we get letters to the editor from truckers or families of truckers and saying how it's bad for us to be picking on the truckers. But it doesn't have to be something that we win and the trucker loses. There's a lot of truck on trains in Europe, for example, where the truck drives on the train and the train takes the trucks to a different place and then they drive off again, kind of like a truck ferry. Uh, And we have espoused this concept. We said that there's a good chance in the 600-mile corridor between central Pennsylvania and Knoxville that we could do a prototype project where we put through trucks on trains and carry them from one end of this trip to the other. And it has a benefit, not only, it has many benefits, actually. It gets trucks off the road, which is a a big benefit, having fewer trucks on I-81. It also benefits the the emissions picture. There are areas like Roanoke that are chronically struggling with being a non-compliance area for emissions. And you, if we had less diesel particulate emissions, that would be a good thing. And the third big constituency that benefits is the trucker. Right now, most truckers drive all oh, 400, maybe 500 miles a day, and then they have to stop. And the truck sits in a roadside rest area or a truck stop. And then the driver has his whatever, 11 hours of required rest, and he can go again. But if the truck could continue to move while the driver was sleeping, this would be a big productivity enhancement for the trucker as well. How does it affect the railroad then? I mean, that sounds good. The railroad could is maybe the the fourth major beneficiary here, that they would develop new business that they don't have now. Uh, We see a lot of attention given to double stack intermodal business that the railroads have. And we see these long double stack container trains going by, but that concept is mature and it's not really growing. There's a whole bunch of trucks out there on the road that are not susceptible to being diverted to the double stack intermodal business model. So we need a more uh, nimble, flexible business model to get the so another big group of the trucks off the road. And I think the drive on, drive on off concept is 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 a good thing to explore. It's not been done in this country, but it has a lot of potential advantages. Do you have any kind of feedback on whether truckers are warming up to this idea and whether railroads are supportive of the idea? The railroads are not supportive of the idea. We have gotten consistent opposition from our advocacy work from Norfolk Southern in this corridor, and also from the Union Pacific in the I-80 corridor of Nevada, where we also tried to do this project. The railroads today are focused on uh, downsizing and disinvesting. They are not 
really interested in new growth opportunities. That's too bad because obviously it um, caps the public benefit that could accrue from moving more freight by rail. I can't imagine a business that doesn't want more business. No, they want to be more efficient. And in their definition, efficiency is getting rid of everything you can except the most profitable traffic. And that's what they have been doing. And that's why they have been disinvesting in terms of track and equipment and locomotives and people and everything and getting smaller and smaller. The rail market share in this country gets smaller every year instead of bigger, which is not what we would like to see as the general public where we are touting the benefits of rail. David, let me interrupt you here for a second. You're one small group of people. I don't know exactly how many members you operate on donations. Still, you managed to back off two, maybe three big companies from adding lanes to the interstate so that you could protect that land and the idea of moving it to railroads. But if the railroads aren't supportive, it seems like you're going to be beating your head against the wall. We do a lot of that. (laughs) And (laughs) you don't give up? No, no, we don't give up. We never give up. What That's probably one of the reasons we have not been successful in getting a trucks on trains demonstration project in the I-81 corridor. I personally believe it's the only real way that we can get a handle on the truck volume in the I-81 corridor. We read what VDOT wants to do, and it's got truck climbing lanes, truck parking areas, truck messaging signs, all these improvements for the truckers. To me, it seems like, okay, if you make it nicer, more truckers are going to come. They'll come off 77 and 95, and they'll use I-81 instead if we make it really nice for them. I don't think any of those investments that have been proposed really come to grip directly with the problem of reducing the amount of trucks on the road. What is your plan for persuading, convincing, forcing, getting the railroads to change their policies? I think they have to be they have to be pummeled by public opinion. We have other organizations like ours in other parts of the country. There are other rail advocacy groups in Virginia, and there are other rail advocacy groups around the country. And we probably should be criticized for not doing a better job working together on national stuff. We get all involved in what's going on in our area, and we tend to lose focus on the national issues. Right now, A bunch of us in the various rail advocacy groups around the country are working through the Sierra Club to put together a white paper all about these uh, issues that are holding back the public's enjoyment of more rail benefit. And I think we kind of need that catalyst. We need uh, somebody with a large national profile, like, like the Sierra Club, perhaps, to pull these things together and to help get the issues before Congress. It's hard for the little people 
all around the country to do that, to be effective lobbyists for for change. But I think we uh, we can do a better job than we are doing. Well, if you could channel the frustration, if it's anything like what I feel when I'm surrounded by trucks on the interstate, all flying down the road and one in front of you and one behind you and one beside you, if you could channel that frustration of mine times ever how many other people share that, I think you could, I don't know, shut down the interstate in a protest or something, because it really is frightening. (laughs) And if there is another way, I would think a lot of people would like that idea. What about the uh, infrastructure bill? Is there anything in there that's going to benefit you, the the giant infrastructure bill that Congress passed? Well, I hope it Mike, one of the problems we've always run into when we've been talking about this trucks on trains concept in the corridor is that it's going to require a, a, a good study, a comprehensive scientific study of the life cycle costs and benefits of hauling the trucks on trains versus building more highway capacity. And, and the hurdle there has always been, well, how would we get such a study funded? There was no funding for that. Now we have both this huge new infrastructure bill and the huge new Inflation Reduction Act, all of which have very have a myriad of different programs that are designed to help the environment. And I would hope that perhaps we could break loose some funding to get a, an actual study done to see if our idea has merit. What about electrification of trains? I call electrification of trains the low-hanging fruit. I think that's something that electric vehicle advocates tend to overlook. Most of the spending and the uh, advocacy work that's being done on electric vehicles is focused on highway vehicles, trash trucks, delivery vans, school buses, things like that. And nobody seems to be really excited about railroad electrification. So we do a lot of yammering about that issue as well. The um, nice thing about it is it doesn't take a whole bunch of research and development like a lot of these things do. It's commonplace worldwide except in North America. So it's off-the-shelf technology. In North America here, it's used only on the Amtrak Northeast Corridor between Washington and Boston. But still, railroad electrification has been in use for 100 years, and it's very proven. It's, it, it can be purchased and implemented fairly easily. So it's, um, that's why I call it a low-hanging fruit. It's something that you could do while you're worried about other ways to decarbonize the transportation sector. You could start with electrification of the railroads, which would get rid of a lot of fossil fuel burning diesel locomotives. Somebody's got to support that and the railroads would have to be in favor of it. Let me just add another question here while we're talking about all of this. How do passenger trains fit into this equation? I'm assuming that passenger trains and freight trains are different. Well, they are different. And there are advocacy groups that are focused primarily on passenger trains. Here in Virginia, we have a group called Virginians for High-Speed Rail, and they are focused on making strides in having more Amtrak service and more commuter rail service and that sort of thing. From our start, you probably gathered from my summary 
that we at, at Rail Solution are focused mostly on freight. That doesn't mean we have any animus against passenger trains. In fact, the two, the two tend to go together. The things that we need for successful future freight rail transportation, such as capacity and multi-tracks and grade separation and things like that, and electrification, those things would also be of great benefit to passenger rail as well. The big problem with the passenger rail is the is competing with track time, uh, capacity, uh, with competing with freight trains. That's the big issue in, in this country right now, why we can't do a better job with our passenger trains. Very so, interesting. Yeah. I'm uh, curious about something. When we, we talk about this, that we've got this in your vision. You have a place where trucks drive onto trains. They get transported through the I-81 corridor. The drivers get to sit there and rest. The railroads, if they were interested, had more business. But what would it look like? Would you have to build giant transfer areas to get trucks on trains? It seems like you're going to have to have you know, huge chunks of property where lots of trains can park and line up and that kind of thing? Uh, actually, no. Uh, I have visited some of these facilities in Europe. I spent an afternoon in Freiburg, Germany, watching the trains come and go and load and unload. And it takes far less space than the double stack intermodal concept. It's not unusual for a railroad intermodal facility to take four, three or 400 acres. They're huge. And one of the reasons for that is that they have to be loaded by cranes and other large equipment onto the trains and unloaded that way and then marshaled out onto the highway and so on. If you can just drive on and drive off, you don't need a lot of ancillary infrastructure. It's kind of like picture a, uh, a ferry boat loading. I mean, all they do is they drive on, and when they get to the other end of the uh, journey, I have watched the ferry boats take trucks across Lake Michigan from Ludington to Manitowoc. And, you know, they drive onto the ferry boat, and six hours later, when the ferry boat gets to the other shore, they drive off. So it's it doesn't really require a lot of space. Obviously, you do need a place where the, they can pull in and line up and get ready to board the next departing train, but that doesn't require nearly as much space as the conventional inter intermodal concept. David, how did you get involved with Rail Solution? What was the passion that brought you to all this work? Well, I have been interested in railroads all my life, and I worked for 24 years for Norfolk Southern and before that, Norfolk and Western. And when Reese Shearer started this organization in 2003, there were a lot of people in various parts of the I-81 corridor that found his message resonated with them. We, we did not like this idea of you know, uh, doubling the size of I-81 and making it a truck toll road. So we willingly gave our time and our attention to trying to combat the idea. 
and that, I, I was involved with Rail Solution right from the beginning. I mean, we have other people who have joined since that time. Every year we have a few new people, but the core of our group go back pretty much to the early fight between 2003 and 2006. Well, you certainly are an example of the power, the power of citizens and what can be accomplished. The fact that you shut down the expansion of the interstate project back in 2003 and in that era is quite a testimony to how effective you've been. I want to thank you very much for being with me today, David Foster, chairman of Rail Solution, talking to me from Salem, Virginia. If people want to know more or get involved or help, what should they do, David? Well, they can email us at rail solution, all one word, railsolution at aol.com. That's pretty simple. Yeah, uh, we have a couple of websites, but I won't bother you with those. Probably the best thing to do would just be to contact uh, me by email. At railsolution at aol.com. Yes. David Foster, my guest today. Thank you once again, David, for being with me. Well, thank you for inviting me, Teresa. It was fun. For people who are listening, if you want to catch more of this, if you missed something, you want to listen to it again, share it with somebody, you can look for our podcasts at wehcfm.com. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This is WEHC and WISE, and you find this conversation here Wednesday at 6 and Sunday at 2. Before we close out, I have a couple of comments. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the idea of trucks on trains and the group of people who are working believing that they can clear the interstate of truck traffic and reduce carbon emissions and help the environment. If you'd like to hear this program again or share it with someone, please consider familiarizing yourself with our podcast site at wehcfm.com. There you will find links to recent shows. The marketing director who talks about the crisis in recruiting people for the Coast Guard and what he has loved about being in the Coast Guard. You'll find the interview about lowering your energy bill for free, where someone comes into your house, does an audit, makes some repairs on site, and charges you nothing. You'll hear a discussion about myths related to Appalachian people. And you'll hear about the organization Crossroads Medical Mission, where they offer free health care to people who can't afford it. You'll hear and find links to political candidates and their discussions of their policies and information on registering to vote. In all of these conversations, I think you'll see good people doing good work, and I think you may be encouraged about the state of our world. Again, consider visiting wehcfm.com, and you can find links to everyone's talk shows and to their previous programs. I'm Teresa Keller. Thank you so much for tuning in to WEHC and to this conversation. You can find this program Wednesdays at 6, Sundays at 2. Remember, podcasts at wehcfm.com. Thanks again for tuning in and see you next time.